All right, man. All right. All right. I'm done pouting. I'm good. To, I'm good to talk about game one now. What's up? This is the Keegan Stewart Sports Podcast. Happy to be with you. Game two is tonight, but the game one conversation is going to take place prior. A lot to talk about. My buddy Chris Moline is going to jump in with us shortly. Excited to hear from him. One of the craziest playoff games, no matter what the stage was, I've ever seen in my entire life. Uh, A lot of thoughts on it. Uh, Jason Whitlock went on the herd on Friday morning. Uh, to talk about his thoughts, and I, and I thought he really, I thought he really hit a lot of points right on the money. Here's what Whitlock said on the herd. Night, Cowherd. <laughs> no, no, I'm I'm being dead serious. Because you're right, I did not sleep. I'm a sports fan. I'm I'm a Pacer fan, but I'm I'm a sports fan. Right. And we were denied great history last night by an incompetent officiating crew and J.R. Smith. We just had history stolen from us. LeBron James was right in the middle of elevating himself past Michael Jordan. Starting that process, the leap, was he was just, that was his platform to leap off to and see if he could upset these Golden State Warriors over seven games. And they just pulled the rug out from underneath him and us. Ty Lue is talking about the Cavaliers getting robbed. All sports fans just got robbed last night. That was a hot mess of incompetence by the officiating crew and J.R. Smith, and they've denied us the history of LeBron James. I've been invested in this story for 15 years, and they do that to me last night. I'm watching, and I'm a Magic Johnson is the greatest athlete of my lifetime for me as a fan. Yeah, and and he had a game his rookie year that I'll never forget. 42, 15, and 7 in game six. Against the Sixers. And let's suppose the refs and Norm Nixon had decided, you know what, we're going to take a dump on this playoff five positions, 42 points, Kareem is out. The refs and Norm Nixon decide we're going to blow this game for Magic. And that's taken away from Magic's history. Are you kidding me? And I'm watching... I couldn't – I'm watching this and I'm going and, – and last night when I couldn't sleep and I'm tossing and turning, I wake up this morning and I'm still like, that was crazy. Why was that stolen from me? How do the Cavaliers recover if me, who has no money on the game, is just a fan, if I'm this upset, no wonder Ty Lue was almost in tears. No wonder LeBron James was irate and throwing a tantrum throughout all of overtime and couldn't stand it when Mark Schwartz kept asking him stupid questions after the game. If if I can't recover, how can they recover? They've changed the course of history last night. They literally changed the course of history. Jason Whitlock there on the herd. Chris Molina on the pod today. Thanks for joining me today, Chris. What are your thoughts about what Whitlock said? Uh, hey, thanks for having me. It's good to be on the show. Um, to that because even though you know me and I usually root against LeBron James, he had me rooting for him down the stretch, and I feel like with that call, it could have gone either way. And with what happened, we all know what happened. It kind of took took away what could have been one of maybe the greatest final performance of all time. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's a fantastic point. To me, there's three big keys in this game. And uh, somehow or another, all, all three of these things occur within the last minute. Okay, that is the charge call overturned to a block, followed by George Hill's missed free throw, followed by the J.R. Smith blunder. The thing that the thing that bothered me for the past 48 hours is is the overturn of the charge into a block. And let me just unpack this momentarily. It was a block. It was a block. If we're going to slow it down to two frames per second, if we're going to go look at the replay, look at it in every detailed form or fashion that we can. And sure, it's a block. You can see it. We can see that his foot sliding over slow. He's not in position. However, it does kind of sting that the uh, expert official Steve Javi tells us he, he is in legal guarding position, right? That one kind of stings. But my thing is, everything is going to look differently if we're going to slow it down. Live, it looked like a charge. Live, that is a player out of control barreling into LeBron James' body and LeBron hitting a deck. That was a charge, live. Full speed, boom, large charge, live, all day. This is why we do not review pass interference plays in the NFL. They're all going to look different. They're all going to look different. If we're going to be able to do that, why not, why not do it the whole game? That rule has to go. Disgusting way to dictate a game. I, I, I was shell-shocked that that was even a rule. The rule's been in for five years. It's been, there's been a See, there's been an instance, like we saw in Game 1, only five times. That's only happened five times. Now, we can get to the JR stuff. We can get to the George Hill stuff, Chris. But that's the one that opened up the drink that ultimately spilled. The charge turned into a block. Yeah, because it, it was a two-point game at the time. There was like 35 seconds left, and instead of... Cavaliers having the ball, which we would know it'd be in LeBron's hands, he'd make the right move, he'd either tack the rim, you know, find the open guy, and it could have been a four or five point game after that, but instead it was tied. So it was a very big momentum shift. To me, the the most impactful play, and I've heard one of the best coaches, high school coaches in the state of New Mexico, Coach Zeller, attest to this, probably the most impactful play in a basketball game is a charge is a charge or a block. When, when the charge occurs, it is so uplifting to the team that took it, and it is so negative for the team that charged that it just really can play a huge impact. 35 seconds left in the game, opportunity to go up four, opportunity to go up five, as you mentioned. It's just monumental. And the fact that they had to... I mean, there's just been, there's been a lot of discussion over the past 48 hours, whatever... 48 hours plus if this thing was even reviewed correctly because Chris the rule says okay if there's question whether or not LeBron's feet or the player's feet were near the restricted area that's when you go to review while reviewing if while reviewing that if you want to question whether the player is in a legal guarding position you may do so now I don't feel like LeBron's feet near the restricted area should have even been a question. To me, it wasn't close. The, uh, the official's eyes were on the play. I don't understand why the review took place. 
Yeah, it wasn't close with his feet. And that's kind of after, in the aftermath of game one, that's kind of what I figured out too, what the rule is. They used the feet near the restricted area to go to the monitor, and they ultimately ended up changing the call. It's not a good loophole to have, in my opinion. I don't think we should see any of those officials for the rest of the finals. They are, they may already be booked. I'm, ex- I'm interested to see who's calling the game tonight. But man, too, too many storylines following these guys' names leaving, leaving the finals. The league doesn't want that. We, we got to do something else here, man. We got to do something else. And if you watch the game, you see more than just that. You see missed calls. You see LeBron with clean strips on KD whistled. You see LeBron's wrist getting grabbed aggressively. No whistles. It just, it was just egregious. It was just there was so much to point to. Unfortunately. All right, Chris, talk to me about the J.R. Smith thing. What what are your thoughts on this? Okay, so. Um that second free throw goes up. I'm like, does Golden State have a timeout? Cleveland have a timeout. So Cleveland have one. And J.R. Smith beat KD to the ball. I thought he was going to put it back up right away. And then he dribbles out. I'm like, wait, what's going on? Wait a minute. And then uh, you could see LeBron like pointing point the other direction. And I think that's when he snapped that the, uh, the game was tied and they weren't winning. And they ended up getting like a last like a last second heave that wasn't even close but that I mean you gotta have some awareness there you, either that we're tied or you have a timeout left I mean I even put a little bit of the blame there on Tyron Lue uh, if, I know if I were coaching I'd be screaming for that timeout yeah yeah, you got to take the timeout, and if you're Lou, you see your guy grab the ball in a semi-desirable position, right, right under the basket. And this is probably why he was reluctant to use it. Okay, my guy's got it under yeah, the basket. Maybe yeah. we'll get a maybe we'll get a bucket real quick. Now, yeah, it all happened so fast. It did. And now, as we've as we've already seen, the J.R. Smith, LeBron James image is going to be the meme of the summer. However. I would like to suggest a little bit of sympathy toward J.R. Smith. Whether that's surprising to folks or not, I would. I've played basketball my entire life through the up up through high school level, and uh, I can I can think of two or three instances um, where where teammates, and also one instance of a coach, my coach, didn't know what the score was, misplaced the score in his mind. Whether it was, oh, we're, we're tied, oh, we're actually the team that's up one, we're not down one. I've, I've seen these kind of things happen. I have. It, it, it's a part of, it, it's not common, but it can be a part of the game. It can be a part of human nature. Now, because it happened on the biggest stage in the world to an athlete that's getting paid $13 million a year to play this game, it's a little bit perplexing. However, I would just say that it's possible to happen, and I've seen it happen before. Did it happen to JR in the most unfortunate circumstance ever? Yes. Yes, this game's going to be known as the J.R. Smith game. It's going to be known as the J.R. Smith game forever. Well, people will remember this thing. People will forget about the charge block overturn. People will forget that George Hill was the individual that missed the free throw. But they won't forget J.R. Smith grabbed the ball and didn't really know what the score was, dribbled out, ran out of time, ultimately went to overtime and lost to the best team ever. 
Yeah, and I would go a slightly different route. Like how you said, you felt a little sympathy towards him. I do, too, because, like you said, George Hill missed the free throw. If George Hill doesn't miss that free throw, they're up one. Golden State has the ball, and none of that would happen. The J.R. Smith blunder would never happen. Overtime would have never occurred. And if Golden State doesn't hit a game winner, then nobody's talking about the charge block either. It's all about how amazing of a performance it was from LeBron and how it could have been. It might have been one of the most like. Well, one of the biggest upsets in finals history because I think they were like a twelve and a half point favorite or something like that. They were only twelve and a half. They were only bigger favorites in, I believe, eight home games this year. Yeah, uh, yeah. Vegas calls it a sweep. Vegas said it's going to be a sweep, and they're usually right on these finals things. Yeah, huge underdogs, right? I get on here. I get down here Thursday with Matt Mooney before the game, and we're talking, and we don't really, feel, you know, we don't really feel like this thing's going to be close. Game one, game one is interesting. It's always kind of a feel-out game, but even even going in, I was like, okay, I could see Cleveland kind of hanging around, and then this thing getting ugly. As the game progresses, and you see Cleveland continuing to hang in there, take these punches, and you're just watching LeBron will his team into this game. And and they get kind of that last run right in the, in the final minute, and then everything just spills, and that's why I mean we don't like Whitlock said it, it was almost a historic all timer man it really was yeah. and and you just you think about every storyline coming into this thing, and you sit here today and you wonder wow how would have the narrative changed if Cleveland was up one zero it would have been. Man, we would we would be preparing ourselves for one of the greatest shows on television ever. I mean, this thing would be a fight. This thing would be a fight, yeah. and we're gonna and we're gonna talk about game two. It could go a number of ways, but man, if they would have been up one zero, the whole thing would have changed. Home court gone. If they're up one zero, game two, game two's kind of you know Cleveland has one to has one to give away if they want with two games going back to Cleveland. It, it it was crazy. I've watched LeBron for the last 15 years. I really have. First jersey I ever owned. Youth size small. LeBron James and, the you know, the, the scarlet one. And uh, that performance, Thursday night, game one, top three. Top three best performances I've ever seen that guy play. He, he was just lights out all across the board. He was. Can he do it again tonight? I don't know. That's a lot. That's a lot of wear and tear. A couple of days yeah, off. A couple of days off is nice. We'll we'll see. We'll see what he can do. First thing I want to talk about is something that's kind of sliding sliding under Chris with all the other storylines. What what was KD's game like in Game One? How did you see it? Not not that good. I can think of moments where he was pretty good, but is he kind of getting getting left off the hook for a bad performance because of the other storylines? Yeah, absolutely. Um, every time he, it seemed like every time he had the ball, the offense just stopped. People were just standing there watching him. He was going one on one with solid uh, defenders that were playing solid defense, and he was putting up some contested shots. It was like almost watching him back when he was with Oklahoma City. It was like the Oklahoma City Warriors right there. He just, he was missing open shots. He, I think he had twenty. He had. 29, I think. I'll have to recheck, but it was not a pretty shooting performance. That was just 
sheer number of volume right there. And so if you're, so if you're Cleveland, keep do your best, throw every punch you can to try and keep Steph and Clay bottled up and make him beat you, make KD beat you. I that's what I would do. I would make KD beat me because um, Steph and Clay are like the X factors. If they get hot, it could get ugly in a hurry. If KD gets hot, you know, two points, two points, maybe three. A lot of uh, shot clocks going down. You know, he's getting shots up within five seconds before a violation, and there's just not that flow to the game when he's going off and Steph and Clay are kind of quiet. I think I've seen a stat that the Warriors aren't actually uh, don't actually have that good of a record when KD goes off for like 40 points. I'd have to check, but I think they're three and. Five in the last eight when Katie goes off for forty. Hmm. Yeah, that that is maybe, interesting. Maybe I'm totally wrong, but <laughs> no, that that is interesting to look at numbers like that. Looking at the way Cleveland approached Game One defensively, they switched everything right. Everything's a switch there. If it involves Curry or Durant at the top, they're gonna head really hard. Make sure there's not an easy shot. But listen, if it means Love's out there trying to chase Steph, or if T. Tomp's out there, Tristan Thompson's trying to t- chase Steph, it is what it's going to be. They're going to they're gonna do what they can to do that. Sure, Steph got around Love multiple occasions off the dribble, which I think Love could affect a little bit better. But I, I thought for the most part, switching everything was successful for Cleveland. And, you know, when Jeff Green's in the game, and, and uh, you know, LeBron and Korver, even Jordan Clarkson's son, he's, he's not terrible on defense. I think they have the pieces to really match up as best you can on Golden State when, whenever you're going to switch everything like that. Do you think they'll do the same thing tonight? Yeah, um, I think for the most part it was pretty good approach to the game. Like you said, um, Kevin Love kind of struggled when he was switched on to Steph Curry, but Tristan Thompson, I thought, played pretty well. He had once where he got beat, but he got the block on uh, from behind, and I think that's that's what they're going to focus on, making sure, uh, well, at least trying their best to make sure Tristan Thompson's involved in that pick and roll, so that way he can switch on to Curry and not Kevin Love, and that might be their best, best bet right there. If you're, if you're looking for something... To, to to grasp hope with, right? If you're a Cleveland fan and you're thinking, man, that's the best punch we're going to throw. That's the best punch we're going to throw. We're down 1-0. We had it right there. Everything happened. We took a loss. If you want to look at something to give you a little bit of hope, look, Cleveland has not had a good three-point shooting game in the playoffs yet. They've had one. I think it was game three in Cleveland against Boston they they opened the door and ran him out by 30 because they shot well from three and here's a team that's designed to spray you from three and they have done a bad job doing so they've shot horrible percentages of of late so if if you want to say man what what would have to happen well how about just some shots going and, and Golden State does a good job of rotating and and putting a hand up but look you got multiple guys out there that are going to take them what what if more of them went in that than didn't? You you'd be right there with an opportunity to win tonight. I mean, think about how many Clarkson missed. Think about how many Love missed. Jr. was actually pretty good. LeBron was really good from three. 
Think about if Jeff Green shot about 40-50% from back there. The, Corver. What if Corver just gets on one of those tears? It's possible, and I think that's how Cleveland's going to win one game in this series. If they win tonight, they could win more than one, in my opinion. But the three-point shooting is critical. Another thing I'm interested to look at tonight is Klay Thompson's leg. Obviously, it looked brutal when it happened. J.R. Smith collided with him early in game one. He immediately went back to the tunnel. It looked like it looked a lot worse than what it ended up being as Thompson returned and, and played fine. However, Brian Windhorst reported after the game that Clay was limping pretty heavily, uh, leaving, leaving the arena. So I know I'm sure they treated it pretty hard uh, during the off days, but we'll, we'll see how he responds. We'll see what that leg was. We'll see how that, what condition that leg is in tonight. What, what are you expecting out of this game tonight, Chris? Uh, if you had to guess, how does this thing end up? Okay, so to your point earlier about is this the best punch that Cleveland can throw, I don't think so. I think it's the best punch LeBron is going to give him. I don't think it's physically possible for him to play better than he did in game one, but his teammates got to pick up the slack. His teammates can be a lot better, like you said, just make some shots. Clarkson, I, I know we were talking about this, uh, Clarkson was pretty bad. He had he was like two, two for eight maybe at best, and he had a couple of turnovers. He was missing wide open looks, and I mean they, like you said, they're designed to make shots. Corver, Smith, Clarkson, Hill can make Hill can make one. Uh, Love, Jeff Green. They have some good shooters. They just gotta help help out LeBron more, make those shots, and it'd be interesting tonight. One thing but I don't know if it'll be enough. Yeah, sorry, go ahead, Chris. Yeah. So, so how do you, how do you see it coming out? I think it can go one or two ways. I think either Cleveland comes out and punches them in the mouth and never looks back with one of those shooting performances like you've been wanting to see, like us as fans would like to see, or they're going to they're gonna be down 8 to 12 points most of the game with LeBron willing them to just stay in the game and then towards the end of third, early fourth, Golden State will just have too much firepower and they'll win by like 15. I think we'll see one of the two. I don't know. I don't think it'll be close. I can't wait for the game where the Warriors have a bad third quarter, man. And I'm really hoping it's tonight. I don't know what it is about them. Uh, I don't know if it's Steve Kerr with words of wisdom time after time again in the third. But these guys in the third have been crazy good. If you look at their numbers incredible in the third quarter in Cleveland. Well, LeBron, single-handedly, go watch the, go watch game one. LeBron single-handedly weathered the third quarter himself and, uh, and was able to keep them in it. But, man, if you're Cleveland, just know they're going to be coming out, right? I'm sure. Hey, easier said than done, Keegan. But do what you can to just match that intensity and just be more physical. Do not let them get on the hot, off the, to a hot start. And if they start to, time out time out end that thing right away and and do what you can I think another thing to keep in mind tonight historically and I think the one exception if I'm recollecting correctly you're good at this too Chris is after LeBron loses game one in the finals okay and he every year he loses game one in the finals I think the only time he did not was in 2011 right when they played the Mavs Okay, after losing game one in all of these series, I, yeah, I'm, I'm recollecting in my head, I can count all of them he lost game one. 
he wins game two. He wins game two with the exception of last year. Last year they couldn't get it done in Oracle. But I think that's definitely something to point to and, and something that definitely could be critical tonight. Hey, Chris, if you're, the, if you're Steve Kerr, you're looking at who you want to play in that, in that fifth role with Iguodala out. What, what did you think about JaVale McGee's insertion, and would you go with him more than you go with Looney tonight? I think it, that's an interesting question. Um, JaVale McGee came out in that third quarter. He had a lot of energy. He, he had a, like a stretch of where it, <laughs> the announcers were calling it the JaVale McGee show until um, in typical JaVale McGee fashion that turned around in a hurry. I think you start with him, see how it goes. you got to try something because they were just crushed on the boards from what I can see. I never looked at the box score to see what the total uh, rebounding disparity was, but they were just, it was brutal. The Cleveland just destroyed them, so they have to, I have to look to see how they can control the narrative there, do a better job on Thompson. I think LeBron had... Do you know how many rebounds he had? I think it was nine, eight or nine, I believe. And then I know some of the guards were pretty good, uh, especially, you know, that last free throw. Smith um, outworked Durant on that one to grab the rebound. For as dumb as the rest of the play was, that was still a great uh, great effort there. And they, that's something that's got to change for the Warriors. So maybe Mickey um, play the wait-and-see game, see if that works. If not, maybe just do what you've been doing and hopefully uh, you can work around the rebound disparity again. Yeah, and thank goodness JaVale McGee just absolutely missed, like, shacked and fooled that dunk, right? I mean, thank goodness, because he had, he had just scored. I think he'd scored two buckets, maybe just one, but and then he checked LeBron on a switch. He, he straight up checked him and didn't let him go around, and everyone's kind of thinking, oh, we just we just solved the puzzle here. And I, even I was like, man, that was one time. But, you know, try to do that three possessions in a row, dude. But then he checked and fooled that dunk, and I was like, oh, my goodness. He's coming out of the game, I think. <laughs> I think we don't have to worry about that anymore. But he is. He's a scary player. He He's just one of those guys that's completely hit or miss, but when he's hit, he's going to hit you pretty hard. Uh, yeah, I think I would start him. If, I, if I'm looking at this thing, you know, subjectively, start JaVale McGee instead of Kevon Looney, dude. Like, be a threat. Be a threat as best you can. And I think that's what we might see tonight. Yeah, absolutely. We'll see what happens. What but is- uh, if I were Steve Kerr, I would start JaVale McGee. What else? What else are you looking at tonight, Chris? What are some of the things you're going to be looking to early on, or just some of the storylines you're uh, you're thinking about as this thing goes in the game too? So we'll see how Cleveland comes out against Durant again, and then I'd like to see what Clay Thompson looks like on the court because I did see that he was questionable yesterday, and I didn't think too much of it because it was yesterday. But that was the first time I heard that report from Brian Windhorst when you were talking about it. So, yeah, that is an interesting um, interesting dynamic there because, you know, Nick Young is shooting the uh, shooting guard off the bench. He can hit a three with the best of them, but he, that's a big loss on defense and ball movement, too, so if Clay is not 100% tonight. One thing that really stood out to me is 
I, I re- and I really mean this, in Game 1, and it might look different in Game 2, I felt like Cleveland could score easier on Golden State than they could on Boston. Something about the scheme, and you know what? It might just be a fill-out game. We see coaches do this all the time. Not, we're not going to show you our hand in Game 1, right? We're going to see what you do. We're going to go back to the drawing board. We're going to adjust for Game 2. But LeBron was getting everything so easy. So easy. Off the dribble. Dude, it didn't even feel like they were helping off off the off the drive for LeBron early. Whereas you watch the Eastern Conference Finals and there's three dudes waiting to check him. They're like, we're going to give up that three before we, we let you get in here, LeBron. That's what it felt like. But LeBron was just going at will. And then he was, stre- he was stepping back and hitting jump shots. I mean, good luck. I, they, they just did not have presence on him. And LeBron was picking apart KD defensively. That's another, that's another thing we didn't talk about with KD's kind of interesting good-slash-bad game. Well, the bad, listen, dude, he was nowhere on defense, and LeBron was kind of using and abusing him. And, and a switch on yeah. K, KD guarding him meant nothing to LeBron that night. Yeah, that's an interesting topic, too, because I think Durant had maybe his best defensive year that he's ever had. Um, I know he's had a career high in blocks per game, and that was something he was really, like, emphasizing that. During the year, from what I thought, I think he was a better defender than game one game, but that didn't matter to LeBron. LeBron uh, took it to him, and I think the mistake there was not helping on the drives early. It allowed LeBron to get going, and when he's feeling it, he's a much better contributor. And that's why we're seeing a lot of a lot of LeBron making those shots, three-pointers, mid-range, he's on fire. And that's the, I think that's because it started with um, Golden State allowing him to get to the rim at will at the end of that game. Yeah, what what happened to that storyline? I with uh, you know, it was just all over the all over, man. I think it's January, February. Kevin Durant is a rim protector. KD can guard the rim with the best of them now. Like, where's that been, dude? Like, come on, where's that? Where's that been? I've not seen that once. I mean, I, I remember, sure, I saw it in the regular season. Where, where's that been in these playoffs? I have not. I have not seen it. He certainly didn't do it in Game One, but I just think we need to pump the brakes on KD guarding the rim. Especially, especially when yeah. uh, the freight train of LeBron's going in there. Yeah, he uh, even in Houston, Golden State's defense was looked all right. But I don't know if that was more of a testament to how stagnant Houston's offense looked at times. But there's uh, there's nobody elite for him to guard so far in these playoffs. San Antonio was missing Kawhi. Uh, the Pelicans, right? Anthony Davis is their main guy, and then Houston, their backcourt is where they get their bread and butter along with Capella. So this is his first challenge as a perimeter defender, and he, uh, LeBron took it to him. <laughs> no other way to put that. Chris, when 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 you want to look at something uh, subjectively, like me, I feel like you can do do a pretty good job of it. So with that being said, can you can you just explain? to someone who might be listening that might not know why the Warriors are so annoying, why they're probably the most annoying team within professional sports with, with all the four major sports? Yeah, yeah, I can attest to that. So, disclaimer, I'm, you know I'm a big Curry fan. I have been a big Curry fan since his Davidson days. But two things that just annoy me. One, Draymond Green, he's crying 
all the time to the officials, even when it's a blatant foul, like where he poked LeBron in the eye or kind of hit him in the face. Uh, he was still crying about that as if he didn't touch him. He was he's showboating. He's trying to show up Cleveland after the game's pretty much already over. And to be honest, he kind of deserved that ball to his face from Tristan Thompson. Uh, and then obviously to the bigger story is how they recruited Durant to come play for him. Like, I think they're a better team without Durant, but just goes to show what they think they needed to beat Cleveland, and it kind of upset the balance of the NBA for who knows how long, especially with Clay saying they give up a max contract to come back to Cleveland, or to come back to Golden State, even if it means leaving $80 million on the table. Yeah. Definitely upset the balance. It it turned the league on its face. What used to be a powerful and even Western Conference is no more. Despite Houston's great efforts this year. Go ahead, man. I was going to say, I think if you take Durant off this team the last couple of years, last year for sure, sure they'd still be the best team and they probably would represent the West in the finals, but this year would be just totally up for grabs. Houston would probably have been a big-time favorite and... Who knows what happened in that one? I mean, Steph's great. I think Clay's great. But other than those two, what do they got on offense? That other than you know, one of the great scorers of all time now, but Draymond's not an offensive threat. They get the haul up you know, sometimes. Maybe Pachulia? No. I, I think that just about well sums it up. I mean, these guys, and I don't want to go, I don't want to dig too far into this, but man. They, they, there's just something about these guys that that makes you want them to lose, right? And not even just because Bron's on the other side for me. If Boston was in this thing, I'd be wearing green today. But <clears throat> the way they hold themselves, the way they go about everything, you know, it. these guys are the most overpowered, best assembled juggernaut of a team the league's ever seen. And something about the way they... they carry themselves, the way they're turning around before shots goes in, the way Draymond is kind of like the you know, the hitman for him and the way he's so arrogant and showboating and getting a technical every other game and then Steve Kerr is just so sarcastic all the time with the media you know, acting like they're they're not privileged, I, I don't know man, they just they just rub me the wrong way, they do but that that's enough of that yeah, uh Final thoughts on this pod, Chris. Game two is going to tip off in a little bit over two hours here. ABC. Eight o'clock eight o'clock Eastern, seven o'clock Central. Chris, were you in the mountain time? Yeah. Six o'clock. There you go. So final thoughts, what's gonna happen tonight? What's the score? Uh how are how are guys gonna perform? I think if I had to just straight up make a prediction. Let's say Warriors by 12. Curry goes off again for another 30. LeBron triple-double with his point total in the 30s, but it just won't be enough. I think that I think that's fair. I think that's close to what Vegas has it at. Got the, I think they're giving the Cavs 11 for the points. Warriors supposed to win by 11. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think there is a chance Cleveland can win tonight. I, I think there is. Yeah, I, I I think uh I think a lot 
has been said with their internal group, right? I mean, just this last 48 hours, it, it probably feels like to them, like, it, it probably felt like their season was over, dude. Like, the, the amount that went into that game that resulted in a loss was so heavy to carry. And Windhorse talked about it. He said it looked like he, that was the saddest he's ever seen the Cavs. He's seen them less sad whenever their season was over. And they were in the same locker room where they poured champagne just two years ago in 16, right there in Oracle Arena. So I think there could be a lot to taking that, you know, that morning and that, that deep sadness together and looking each other in the face and saying, hey, look, we're just down 1-0. We were down 2-0 last series. We competed with these guys, and you know what? We didn't really play that well. What if we make shots? I think we might see a Cavs team rally really strong tonight and give another good fight. We might get we might get to see another good game. That's a possibility. I I I don't I'm not picking the Cavs, but I'm not discounting I'm not discounting their chances to win. So I think I think it's another close game. Uh, I really I really don't know if I was gonna you know. Obviously, I want to pick the Cavs, but if I was a betting man, I'd probably lean toward Golden State just because of their the way that they're assembled. Chris, thanks for joining me today, man. This is a uh, it's always fun to get to, uh, talk sports with you and chat it up. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. You bet, brother. Have a good one. You too. That was Chris Molina calling in, talking about the NBA Finals. This is the Keegan Stewart Sports Podcast. Game two of the NBA Finals is tonight. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Get every show very easily accessed on your phone. Follow me on Twitter, at Stew. It's been a pleasure to be with you. We will be back talking about game three in the next couple of days. God bless.